Hello and welcome to the second ever episode of Ted Quarters, the podcast. I'm Ted Berg. I've got my colleagues Michelle Martinelli and Hamel Javeri coming up on the show in a bit. But first I want to talk a little about the news this week. An ESPN Sports Science Commissioned study looked at Major League Baseballs from before and after the 2015 All-Star break. They looked at x-rays of the ball's composition. They looked at uh, the chemical makeup of their core. And it determined that there has been some significant change in the constitution of the baseballs that would lead to more home runs and might account for at least some of the huge uptick in home runs we've seen across the league since that 2015 All-Star break. If you haven't been paying close attention, uh, Major League Baseball players in 2017 hit way more home runs than they ever had total in a season before. We didn't see any individual records. We didn't see any individual guys get to 60, so maybe it didn't draw the type of, of national attention that home runs did back in the late 90s and and 2000s when guys were breaking records, but league-wide, huge, huge increase in home runs. The league has essentially said that they don't think the ball is juice, It's that it's not, if it is, it's not, it isn't a thing, they test the balls, uh, that Rawlings does tests on the balls, the balls are all within their specifications, uh, but every time someone else studies the balls and every time they look at the actual game used baseballs it seems like the the conclusion is that something has changed uh ben Lindbergh did a presented a great study at, at grandland i believe a couple of years ago uh that also looked at that um i think the ball is probably juiced i don't know that it's intentional and i don't know that it's some big conspiracy i wouldn't say it's impossible that the league might lean on Rawlings, the baseball manufacturer, to put a little more oomph in the baseball if it thinks that home runs will better court millennial interest. But I also think it's totally reasonable that it, it could be Rawlings switched rubber suppliers or something like that. And and you know, assuming I I'm assuming that Rawlings doesn't harvest its own rubber. I don't know even where rubber comes from. Trees. I think trees. Uh, and the, the league has, by my understanding, the, the specifications, and, and this has come up in a couple of these studies, the specifications that the league sets for the baseball uh, include ranges and not like specific measurements. And so it sounds like you can change the baseball uh, a pretty good amount within the acceptable ranges and it will perform much differently. And and so it seems like we're seeing a baseball that, that fits the league specifications, but uh, flies further and maybe is, is gets a little bit less spin on breaking pitches, stuff like that. It's harder to throw. Pitchers complain that the ball feels slicker, that the, the seams seem lower. And so something is causing a big uptick in home runs, and it does seem like the ball is a big part of it. My thing is, even if it's really a conspiracy, right? Even if this is a big uh, Major League Baseball plot to make more home runs, why is that bad? Like, And they shouldn't lie about it, right? But if it had been the case, and if it comes out that Rob Manfred called... Frank Rawlings or whoever it is and was like 
bro, we're going to need more homers for the kids these days, then as far as I'm concerned, that's a testament to the kids these days, right? Congratulations to millennials for achieving more home runs because home runs are the best thing, right? And by definition, it's it's the best thing a baseball player can do every single time he comes to the plate. And it also happens to look awesome. It is a really exciting thing to see. I don't understand what would be so bad if the baseball was juiced. And so I think that's that's a, a sort of a missing piece of it is, is people start talking about this as if it's necessarily a bad thing. I get that you risk making baseball stupid if every batted ball goes out. That's obviously not going to happen. And I don't think that... You need to. Like, there's a the thing that the thing that people seem to be worried about, and especially traditionalists would say, "Oh, well, what about baseballs? You know, so much about baseball is, is the sacred statistics, and we can't have the ball being changed to alter the statistics." But all of baseball stats come with a ton of context. Babe Ruth hit 714 career home runs, mostly because he's the best baseball player that ever lived, but also partly because he happened to hit his prime the same year that Ray Chapman was killed by a beanball, which led the league to ban spitballs and led the league to use more baseballs per game, which made the baseballs more visible and less likely to be scuffed, allowing guys to throw crazier pitches. So if Babe Ruth comes up 15 years earlier, he doesn't hit nearly as many home runs. Just like we know Pedro Martinez's stats are more impressive because of when he pitched and where he pitched. Just like we know that Ty Cobb was a better hitter by the standards of his day than Lance Berkman, even though Ty Cobb and Lance Berkman finished their careers with basically equal OPSs. So you'll hear people talking about the integrity of the game, things like that. First of all, they're using they're all using the same balls, right? So there's no way the competition is is changed in in any way. Justin Verlander talked about this. He said, like, I don't want to be lied to, tell us that the balls are different, but you can't really complain because the other guys have to throw that same baseball too, right? The, they're not subbing in juicier baseballs when Bryce Harper gets up. There's no way they could pull something off like that. Second, if the rate of 2017 home run holds, you're talking basically one extra fly ball out of every 30. That leaves the park, right? So it's a big difference if you look over the course of the season. And if you want to say the ball is responsible for 1,000 extra home runs across the season, because that's basically the difference, the entire difference between last year and what was normal about a decade ago. That means your team is hitting one extra homer every five games, right? It looks like a, a, a huge difference on paper, but it's hardly even noticeable beyond confirmation bias when you're watching it play out. I think it is noticeable, but it's really not a massive change on a day-to-day basis. They're still playing baseball, right? So if this is some evil plot, What's he going to say in his tearful apology other than, sorry, I tried to make a form of entertainment more entertaining? And I think the sport has work to do in that department. I think it should be trying to make the game more entertaining. Uh, and I think it should be trying to appeal to broader and more and younger audiences. I think that's real. That's a real need for the league. And I don't think just having more homers gets you there. It gets you there. And I, again, I don't know that this is something that anyone did intentionally. I suspect it isn't. But I'm saying if right now this is peak home run, 
it's important to remember to appreciate that, right? If Mike Trout goes and hits 89 home runs next season or something, yeah, in 100 years, people can look back and say, okay, well, the ball was slightly slicker and the core was less dense and all these things happened and that's what led to that. But people are also going to look back in 100 years and say, whoa, look at this wacky baseball era. That was probably an amazing thing to watch. And so we got to enjoy this ride, right? If I look back at Babe Ruth and and I say, oh my God, you know, guys were leading the league in, with 12 home runs. And now this guy comes along and two years later, he hits 60. And I think about how amazing that was. We're, 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 we have the chance to see, we're, we're seeing that. We're going to see records fall. You're going to see new and more impressive home runs feats. And you're going to see more home runs across the course of a 162-game baseball season. The 538 post, the ESPN study, is awesome. You should definitely check it out. Great context for understanding baseball in 2018. But I think the main thing to understand about baseball in 2018 is home runs are dope. And this is all really, ultimately, just pretty freaking great. Uh, let's get on with the show. First up today is some spirited debate. Spirited debate. Okay, for this edition of Spirited Debate, I am excited to bring on my colleague, Michelle Martinelli. Michelle, you have takes. I have takes. I have lots of takes. It just depends on which one you want to talk about. Well, so I, I should say, so I, uh, in recording the bumper, the little bumper music things I have for this podcast, I have a, I had a segment planned out, and I still have one planned out, called Defend Your Bad Take. And I was hoping to do it for this one, but then <laughs> I, I decided that I didn't hate your take enough to make it that. I had really had... Uh, our colleague, our former colleague, Luke Curtinine, in mind when I was thinking about people having to defend their bad takes. I think that your take is uh, one I don't necessarily agree with, but I wouldn't say it's terrible. Okay. All uh, right. Give me, I wonder we, what we, everyone else thinks. <laughs> we, we were talking. We were talking about uh, desserts in our in our chat room or in in Slack, and. You say your take is that ice cream is not only the best dessert, but you would take ice cream over any other dessert in most situations. Yes, that is true. I can think of a maybe two specific examples of things that where I would not choose ice cream. I would choose the other thing. Uh, I would um, choose my mom's cheesecake over just about anything. She makes the most bomb cheesecake in the entire world. And it's like the healthy version with less butter and less cream cheese that, and stuff like I'm, that. Wait, and it's amazing. You had me at most bomb cheesecake in the entire world and then lost me at healthy version. No, no, no. Okay. So I'm pretty sure she took Paula Deen's recipe, which is yeah, inherently unhealthy. Good start. Um, and so I think she just does l less cream cheese and maybe slightly less butter. This thing is so creamy and delicious. And, and the crust is like the bottom of it is like n nutty, but like homemade. And it's just spectacular. So I would, I I would, would choose I that. Mean, I would gladly taste it even knowing that it was a slightly healthier version of cheesecake. It, you would never know. It's so rich and smooth. You would never know that she doesn't do the outrageous recipe that's right. heart attack inducing from Paula Deen. Uh, and go on. Your, so your, your second dessert that you might choose over ice cream. 
Um, it's something that I don't usually indulge in, but I might go for something like a Snickers bar or something huh. like that. However, I will say the best version of a Snickers bar is the frozen one with ice cream in it. The frozen Snickers ice cream bar is amazing. See, and that's why I couldn't say this is a bad take because obviously I'm not going to come knock, uh, like I'm not going to beat up on ice cream. Ice cream <laughs> is amazing. Uh, the only people who don't like ice cream, it's I feel like it's, it's saying you don't like ice cream is like, unless you are lactose intolerant or whatever else, but it's like saying you don't like the Beatles, right? It's like one of these, it's right. like, come on, come on, come on. You like, like ice cream. You're just I, trying to be different. And so I'm not going to come out and say I don't like ice cream. I love ice cream. I just think that ice cream is like a situational dessert for me. Mm-hmm. Like if you're by the beach, if you're walking around, it's like an ice cream cone is great. There's like – and it's a nice summer night, something like that. I, and I'll have ice cream at home sometimes too if uh, because ice cream's delicious. But I would take a cupcake or a donut or something like that. I feel like ice cream is so rich – that I don't get as much of it into me as food <laughs> I want in the dessert hour. Um, that right? seems fair. That that's and very so, valid. So it's interesting to me because because I would never like I I don't eat a lot of candy bars at all, and it's not because I'm it's I mean I'll take a candy bar, but it's not that I'm avoiding candy bars for health reasons. It's just I would always rather have a pastry or something like that if I'm gonna have something sweet. Than a candy bar because a candy bar it's so overwhelming to me that it's like a it's like a meal, um, right? So exactly. I would never choose a candy bar over just about any other type of dessert. And see, for me, if given the choice for any type of dessert, I would say every day of the week I would choose ice cream and probably twice on Sunday. Like I would just ice cream is ice cream is wonderful by itself because there are so many different ways you can consume it and so many different flavors you can enjoy and things you can add to it. But arguably, I would say that ice cream makes also makes every other dessert better. Well, that's what I was about to ask. Would you prefer, so you would take, would you take a brownie sundae or just a regular ice cream sundae? Oh, I would, um, see, then see, that's, that's interesting. I, I'm not sure. I would probably still go with the regular ice cream, but like maybe if it was a really good looking brownie and be like, oh yeah, I'm going to have some of that. Okay. So, so you think it makes, but so it makes the brownie better, but you don't need the brownie. I don't need the brownie. And I, I just think that there's, yeah, there's, I don't know. I see. I want, I'm the opposite. I want like the ice cream is great, but like Typically, when I come into ice cream, it's because I like my wife made pound cake recently. So we bought ice cream to put on the pound cake, and mm-hmm. then we had more ice cream than pound cake, and wound up with some extra ice cream. So I did have ice cream last night, um, while <laughs> but uh, and without the but but we got the ice cream because it's a great. It's like a uh, dessert. It's, I don't want to say it's a topping, but it it enhances the other d- desserts. Right, but and but I think probably the the strongest argument that I have for why it's just the greatest is it's actually twofold. Um, just generally because anything made with thick, unhealthy versions of dairy uh, is just generally delicious. Anything with heavy cream or sweetened condensed milk or something like that is probably spectacular. Right. Uh, yeah, uh, I'm with you on that. But you can, but really, yeah, you can do just about anything you want to ice cream to make it fit your specific palate and your specific preferences. You can, you know, vanilla is awesome and everything, but like 
you can put, you know, chocolate in it or caramel. Or if you buy it, you know, you can buy these flavors too. But it's great with like chocolate or caramel or strawberries or cookie dough or fudge. Or I've had avocado ice cream before. I've had tequila ice cream before. It's anything you can do to ice cream it is you can tailor it to what you want. And so really there's unlimited options where I feel like with something like cake like I'm not a cake person I do not like cake I will probably not eat it if it's not an ice cream cake but wow you know so, see I didn't realize you were oh, that yeah. far down on that's a bad take that's I don't a bad like take. I don't cake like is cake delicious I'm no sorry. oh my god no, no no cake you don't like any cakes because your cake is it, there's <clears throat> so many different types of cake that is true um I will again reference my mom because she's an amazing cook and I inherited zero of her skills not so for, you got on a mom who's an ama- who makes amazing cakes, yeah. and you're like, no, mom, well, uh, I'm no, sorry, I prefer ice cream. Well, so okay, so if she, yeah, if we're talking cheesecake, or when I was growing up, she would make German chocolate cake for my birthday. Those cakes are awesome, but if you're talking about like store bought sheet cake, or okay, well, those can be like kind of people's gross. wedding cakes, like I oh, mean, but it's wedding cakes are often perhaps gross. not to have them, but like. I just, I am not a cake person. It is always dry. There's always too much frosting and it just, well, just so, give me a bowl of ice cream and I'll be fine. I will give, like, I, so I find like I, wedding cakes, I think are, are often not that good. I think that to have like an extremely fancy cake, especially with like the, the intricate decorations, the cake has to be so old by the time it's decorated that way and presented at the wedding that it's just never going to be great. And I feel like, the emphasis there is on the the decoration of it rather than the cake itself. Uh, so oh, for sure, because fondant and stuff like that oh, is not is actually gross. meant not to be thing. eaten. Yeah, yeah. Like it's for decorating. Right, and that's why I think all those cake shows on TV are ridiculous. Like I'd rather have the cupcake show because I feel like the cupcake show they're they're actually focused on how that tastes. The cake show is just like oh, this is our our arts and crafts project. I don't need that. Um, right. So, but I would say like a, f- a freshly made. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna have to agree to disagree on this one because like a freshly made cake to me is or a cupcake or something like that, a pastry, a baked good, always preferable to ice cream. But I want to know before I let you go, a couple of important ice cream questions. First, mm-hmm. uh, do you have a favorite? Like, is there a go-to ice cream brand that you prefer as an ice cream expert? Um, there is actually, and call me cliche or hippie or whatever. I don't care. Um, Ben and Jerry's, uh, Stephen Colbert's ice cream. It's, uh, Stephen Colbert's Americone dream. Mm -hmm. It was back when he was still like Colbert report, Stephen Colbert. Yep. I remember Um, it. Yeah. This ice cream is spectacular. It has chocolate and giant caramel swirls in addition to little pieces of waffle cones in there and all mixed together in a very rich vanilla ice cream and that is 100% the go-to and I introduced it to my boyfriend uh years ago and he is absolutely hooked on it as well it is just by far the best variety of ice cream I have ever had that you could readily buy at a store at your average grocery store yeah I'm, I'm you're not gonna you're not gonna get me to rip on Ben or Jerry in the, <laughs> uh, in this medium so uh, I'm I, I, I get that I, I I think that's a reasonable one like sometimes we go for the fancier ice creams when like or the like the more interesting ones that'll come through uh, there's also uh, there's a like a local place here ample hills that uh, sells ice cream in Whole Foods here. I, maybe nice. everywhere too. Uh, that's fantastic. It's like 
nine dollars for the pint or something it's absurd but it's so good uh it's so like it's incredibly good uh but uh so next the follow-up question was uh you mentioned avocado and tequila ice cream Mm -hmm. are those are those the strangest ice cream flavors you've had because i feel like Um, ice cream is like a like you said it's very versatile you can get a lot of things to taste good as ice cream flavors you absolutely can um yes i would say the tequila flavored ice cream is probably the um the most unusual or um innovative flavor that i've ever tried um a restaurant that i used to work at years ago um would alternate create different types of desserts that we would offer it was latin asian fusion Mm -hmm. and so um yeah, they came up with tequila ice cream that was served with chocolate-covered grasshoppers. And as a vegetarian, nice. I didn't dive into the grasshoppers. That, but I does that def- count? Does that count as meat? The, I guess, uh, they, I guess yeah, they count if you're not I, yeah. eating animals. That's an animal. Yeah, yeah. Um, but the tequila ice cream, it was it was not overwhelming. You definitely got that. Doesn't sound good m- to me. You you got most of the tequila flavor. I felt like you smelled. Um, yeah. you know oh, how you, you yeah, like you smell and eat, no, okay, none about, nothing but about it wasn't overwhelming. To me. It okay. wasn't like taking a shot of really crappy tequila. It was like, it was very <laughs> smooth. It's, make, it's making like my throat burn just it. talking about that. Like you say like All shot right. of tequila and I have like a physical <laughs> reaction to that. Uh, have you ever had, uh, cause I, it's funny that tequila ice cream, not appealing to me, but Corn ice cream, it turns out, is delicious. Have you ever had corn-flavored ice cream? Right? It sounds, it sounds no. weird. It sounds like it would be weird. What it tastes like is if, you ever, if you're ever making cornbread and you like taste a little bit of the batter, it's fantastic, obviously, because it's about to be cornbread. Uh, corn ice I'm cream. I'm so on board with this. Yeah. If, if you get an opportunity to try corn ice cream, that is the strange ice cream flavor I recommend. In China, it's, like a, it's a whole thing. They sell like pre-made ice cream cones where the cone looks like the corn cob and then they're filled up with, oh, nice. with, corn, with corn ice cream it's really good oh that sounds delicious Did you get that in new york or were you traveling no i was in china i was in china and i china. was like i'll oh, try sure. that corn ice cream thing that everyone has and it, and it turned out it was amazing that seems like something that cities like new york would offer someone i would i hope can't so. say dc would have that you know you would think you would think new york would have more things that i demand uh but they they should get that they should get I assume that. New York has everything. No, no. There's there are little holes in like <laughs> there's like like they're missing out on corn ice cream and uh, there's no uh, there's no like I don't know if you've ever had Burmese food but uh, like that's and that's not, not a place a lot of cities have but like in in Oakland California there's tons of really good Burmese food places. There was one in New York City. It was really good and then it just closed. So now there's no Burmese food here. Um, I know for a fact there's no Lao food here, which is something you can get like tons of Lao food in Des Moines, Iowa. Like it just depends on where populations settle. So there are like because because people have tried there's a really good article and I forget where it was, but someone tried to eat food from every single country on the planet in New York City. And there nice. were there were a bunch that there were a bunch of ones where they couldn't they couldn't. oh we had a really good Burmese restaurant in DC's Chinatown for a while um, and it closed yeah that was uh, I was really good maybe it, was it like, only maybe it only works in Oakland I don't know but it, it's good food 
Yeah, interesting, interesting. Well, well corn a... ice cream sounds like something I need to try. Yeah, and that, and that's a good place to end. Like um, the segment that comes next, this one ran over my expected time allotment, <laughs> but I'm all for it because it's always fun to talk about ice cream. Thank you so much for coming on. Yeah, thanks, Ted. So on the For the Win podcast when I was hosting it, once a week, uh, usually I could convince our producer and my colleague, Hamil Javeri, to come on the show and answer questions with me from the internet. And she did it even though she hated it the whole time. And so for this show, I am very excited to introduce this segment, Hemel's Begrudging Q&A. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly what it is. It's I'm begrudging you. Uh, yes. So so we have questions from the internet that we can begrudgingly answer. And because, uh, as you know, uh, th- th- we go for shorter segments here, it won't be perhaps quite as tiresome for you to get through these. Um, so first one, <laughs> and we'll go with a sports one first. Uh, this comes from Nate Weiser. He's at nweiser09 on Twitter. He says, do you think the wave should stop happening at baseball games or just at sporting events in general? Uh, do you want me to go first? Or yeah, you go, go first? first. I think that the wave should stop happening at sporting events in general. Full stop. I disagree. Tell me why. <laughs> well, I think that it's lame and it requires a lot of sitting and standing when – we're already so confined in these very tiny sports seats. Um, first of all, if you're sitting at the very top, like it gives me vertigo and I definitely don't want to be sitting up and standing down and, and doing that. So I think first is like a safety issue. Let's just not do that. Two, it's incredibly uncomfortable. Three, it's super, super lame. Find something else to do. Some kind of chanting or communal singing, but anything but the wave. So I agree with the part about finding other things to do. I think I would prefer the wave if people did cooler stuff with it. Like, you always see the same wave. It's always just, it goes this, you know, it usually goes clockwise around the stadium, and that's it. And sometimes multiple levels or multiple tiers will get in on the same wave, but I would much rather see, like, what if we organized a wave where it goes from, like, the field out to the fur- furthest reaches of the stadium? Or where, like, one section is going one way and the other section is going the other way? Um, like, cool stuff like that. And uh, and in those cases, I think it's awesome. Like, I love seeing – I love watching it, just the aesthetic of watching it and the idea of, like, all of these people sort of operating towards this – weird little thing um what i don't like is when it's happening in a good game or a close game like i feel like that's the wave should be something for when it's fireworks night and everyone's sticking around for the game but the the team is up eight nothing and so everybody's sort of done with watching the baseball or if not eight nothing but in other sports you know with the game out of hand uh i think that's fine i think that i would be personally offended if I were a major league baseball player in a good game and I saw people doing the wave because like you ingrates we're playing we're the best in the world at this and you have the opportunity to see us do it sorry we're not scoring a ton of runs but it's a close game and please sit down and watch it and I will also say that in those situations I find the wave extremely annoying because I don't want to I don't want to be like the wave naysayer who's like no I'm I refuse to do it I'm I'm a spoil sport but also I'm here to watch the baseball game. 
Well, I think that's just rude, right? It, it's just a question of courtesy. Like, you should never do the wave when it's actually a good game and people might be trying to pay attention. It happens all the time in baseball games. So, you see, you know, it's like it'll be like the sixth inning of a 2-1 game and people start doing it. Yeah, well, that's because people aren't at the game to actually watch baseball. They're there to, like, eat food and drink beer. And that's fine. So. But, yeah, and that's fine. And I get that. And and sometimes I go to the baseball game not really to watch baseball but just to eat food and drink beer. Uh, but I, I, I want that option. Like, I, I don't know. You're not there to do the wave. So if the wave is, like, a byproduct of what happens, fine. But if do, don't show up to do the wave. And I, I want to add also that – the wave in every situation but a sports stadium is amazing and hilarious and people should do it. Like if you can organize a wave in like an, a big office meeting uh, in uh, – I mean if you want to go sacrilegious with it, like if you could do the wave in church, I think that would be – you know, like, look, it, it might not be cool but it might be pretty entertaining. Uh, I was really tempted during jury duty, my jury duty saga. I really wanted when the lawyers to return – to have everyone just doing the wave and not stopping the wave. But I didn't have the uh, chutzpah to organize the crew at jury duty that, that way because mostly I wasn't there to make friends. Yeah, you don't want to do the wave of jury duty. The best wave I've ever no, you seen definitely want to, you definitely want to at do the Wimbledon. Wave of jury like, I think Wimbledon was probably the best wave. <laughs> See, that's a, that's a funny place for it because it's like yeah. that's not usually the crowd. I'm all for it. Uh, but yeah, I would say less, I think that, that there should be like a sort of, a better enforced unspoken rule that the wave is for blowouts. Um, when it's, when it becomes more exciting than the game you're watching, then the wave is okay. When it's a close game, no wave. Uh, but I'm not a hardliner. Uh, next question. Okay. Comes from next our, question. Uh, our man, Charles, and this is, uh, something that stemmed out of a post Nick put together and something we discussed in our Slack, uh, from Charles Curtis. He wants to know. Uh, so we were talking yesterday, and everybody had lots of takes on this, about the most annoying song of all time. Charles wants to know, what's the least annoying song of all time? So my pick, I don't know if you've got a take, but I have, yeah, I'm going to say this just to stick it to Charles and Nick, who have some of the weirdest, hottest takes about music. In Slack, Nick said that he didn't like Queen, and Charles was not an Eagles fan, which I understand, like, subjectively, that's fine. But Nick 100% is wrong. Queen is yeah. incredible and amazing. Freddie yeah. Mercury is phenomenal. So just to spite Nick, I'm going to say that the least annoying song in the world is uh, um, Queen's Under Pressure with David Bowie. That's something that is just, like, it's such a great song. I don't know how you can be annoyed by that song, even I... though they play it a lot. And it's got such a catchy hook. Yeah, I like that choice because it kind of, it's like a... It never is going to kill the mood. It's not cheesy. It's not going to, like, ruin. And, and this this is – I'm going to get to my pick, and, and I think there's a lot of uh, – they're not similar songs, but I think there's a lot of overlap in, like, sort of it has broad appeal without being a bad song. You know, a lot of times, like, the poppiest, like, widest appealing songs are actually kind of bland and lame. Uh, but – uh, I think Under Pressure is a good call. I think a lot of Queen songs sort of work like that. Uh, for me, uh, I would say that it is Can I Kick It by A Tribe Called Quest. Oh, that, that's a good one. I feel like it's a great song. 
everyone yes. everyone who knows the song kind of feels like it's a great song. It's very like it's got a very chilled out vibe to it, so it doesn't like it works in various settings. Like you could play it just sort of hanging out around your house. If someone puts on "Can I Kick It," that's cool. Uh, if it's at a bar, if it's at a party, it's not gonna like it's not gonna kill the the energy of the room either, though, because it's still got like a beat to it. Uh, it's sort of it's inoffensive without being lame. Uh, and it just feels like a song everyone kind of likes, and I personally kind of love. I think that's a great call. It's definitely the fine line for these songs is that they have the potential to be annoying, but they're so good that they won't won't be annoying. Right. Like there's a lot of songs, and there's and there's songs where I could say like that's not like like uh, can I kick it is not necessarily my favorite hip hop song, but. I know that if you play like some, if you play some Wu Tang in mixed company, people are gonna be like, "What? What is this? This is far out. Like this is not for me." And like that, they're wrong. Uh, but I, I understand that like Wu Tang can be a little less accessible. Whereas like Kenny Kick It is just every everyone can agree with that sentiment. Is it time or not to be kicking it? I agree. <laughs> That's uh, a good choice. All right. Uh, next question. We got two more. We're flying through them. We're flying through them. Uh, next question comes from Maggie, and this one is going to bother you, Maggie, of course. Maggie and Charles were the guests on the podcast last week. Uh, Maggie Hendricks wants to know, what is the best preparation of a vegetable? See, that's a, that's, a fair, that's a fair question for you, because you're a vegetarian. Is it a fair question? You, well, you can't answer meat questions. That's, that's not fair. It's not fair to say, say you're a vegetarian and you've never had meat. You should tell us about these meats. But you should be an expert. You should be an expert. Are you telling me i'm wrong is that like a uh that sounded like a game show no, that's, it's, it's like my something on my phone buzzed i don't know All what right. that was um, um ooh. yeah i you're wrong again uh to say so but you're a vegetarian you should know better than anyone the best preparations of vegetables so well, the one thing that maggie forgets is that i don't cook and i'm glad that we're starting off the first of these segments with kind of uh, these old tropes but i don't cook at all but your sister, My sister cooks, does... right so but so when she prepares your vegetable oriented meals which are your favorite vegetables <laughs> i think that's a better way to phrase it how do you like your vegetables cooked um I would say, so my sister does a great job with vegetables and the three things that we use in our house a lot for everything, salt, pepper, and lemon. Okay. And that is 90% of what, uh, she grilled asparagus last night and it was just salt, pepper, and, you know, with fresh lime squeezed on top. Um, Brussels sprouts, she does that way and I think she adds garlic. Does she grill, she grills the Brussels sprouts or roasts? Uh, ro- whatever you call when you put them in the oven. Yeah, that's roast. So I was going to say roasting. that to me that that's the best. That's is is roasting a vegetable. Yeah. So it's either roasting a vegetable or like putting it in a, a little um a little grill and putting salt, pepper, lemon, and then sometimes garlic. Yeah, I think I think you're spot on. I think we agree. I I don't really go with lemon as awesome as often, but uh, mostly because we don't have lemons sitting around that often. Um, they're so oh use- you don't they're so useful that like whenever we have a lemon, I feel like I just fly through that. I'm like I'll put lemon in the water. I'll make this thing with you know. There's just so many uses for lemons that like the lemon just doesn't gonna it's not gonna last. I should buy more lemons. I guess is what that means, but uh, I, I don't. It's so. I, it's surprising to me, I guess, and maybe a cultural thing, but Indian people put lemon in everything and on everything. Like it goes on on top of vegetables, it goes on top of like rice and lentils. Every single thing has lemon on top of it. It's I mean, crazy. They're, they're not wrong. Lemon is really good. 
Uh, yeah. I, I so for me, I would just say that just roasting. I like I like my vegetables very straightforward. I'm not a huge vegetable guy, but there are some vegetables I like. I think the key to me is I really don't like boiled vegetables. In most cases, I would much rather have the raw vegetable than its boiled equivalent. Like things like string beans and carrots and stuff. Like just give me the raw thing. I agree. All right. Uh, well, we're we're in agreement, and that was painless. That was a quick and painless food question. Uh, last one comes from uh, Jolly Bengali, which is his, whose name is Shamik, a, a longtime reader at Shackrabs on Twitter. Uh, he wants to know: subtract a team or city, or a, and add a team for and city for each of the major U.S. Or he says, or just baseball and hockey. So let's go with just baseball and hockey. This is our expertise. If you could kill a hockey franchise and add a hockey franchise somewhere else, which would it be? Uh, well, this is actually kind of close to happening. Um, they are going to expand the NHL into Seattle. It's not official, but it looks like it's heading that way. They're following the same steps that they did in Vegas. And I honestly think that within like just 10 minutes ago, Jerry Bruckheimer, who I guess is an investor, has sold like 10,000 tickets before there's even a team announced. So Seattle is definitely where I would add a team because I think that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, That's, it's Pacific weird. Northwest. It's really weird that Seattle doesn't have a hockey team. Exactly. Like they're so close to Canada. They're so close to Vancouver. There could be a great rivalry there. Um, and it's, you know, definitely a colder climate, which for whatever reason, people like hockey when it gets cold. I just to put Arizona out of its misery, I would just take away the coyotes. Like it just seems like wasn't that a, a franchise. Weren't they good to apart. start out with though? Was that, wasn't that like once a good franchise? Um, I thought I they think, were good at first. No? I think that they've had their moments, but you know, for for the past five six years, they've really imploded. There's all these issues with being able to build an arena that can support um, making that franchise better because apparently it's located way out in the middle of nowhere yeah, right that's now. Right. So, you know, a lot of people can't go to it, but they don't have the funds to build a new one. There's all this infighting between you know the NHL and the team. And the city, I think, of Glendale about where to put the new new arena. I think at this point it might be like time to just cut your losses with Arizona. I will be driving past that arena next week at some point uh, because it's right near where the Dodgers and White Sox practice. And you have to kind of pass it by for a bunch of different baseball teams at spring training. Uh, but yeah, it is kind of far from downtown Phoenix. And it's far from like a lot of the sprawl goes sort of to the southeast there. And it's far from like, so like Tempe and Mesa and mm-hmm. uh, all, like the town's Chandler, I think, uh, are all kind of far away uh, from, from where that is. But I also feel like the Phoenix area it makes a bigger deal out of its traffic problems than really it should. Like, it's like they're super sensitive to it because everything's so spread out that it feels like there should be no traffic whatsoever. The traffic in Phoenix really isn't as bad as they say uh, compared to Tampa, Florida, which is the worst place uh, for traffic. And also uh, my team that I would probably remove would be the Tampa Bay Rays. Uh, Not that I don't think Tampa could support baseball, but the way they're currently set up uh, is that they're playing in St. Petersburg. It's across the Tampa Bay from uh, the bulk of the population. Uh, They're super isolated. They have a horrible stadium. Uh, And while they have had good teams, they've had a bunch of really good teams, they never seem to draw a ton of fans. Uh, It seems like that like if they're not and they're they're working on moving to tampa now but if if they can't pull that off it seems like they're better 
off just sort of packing it in and finding another another way. And for me, I would love to see I'd love to see baseball back in Montreal. Um, but per, on a personal level, I would say, and I've said this before, uh, New Orleans or Portland for my own, because I would like to go to those places and eat all of their foods. So New Orleans only has the Pelicans, right? I uh, know the Saints. Oh, and the Saints. Yeah, and the Saints. Yeah. Um, but it's not it's not a huge city. Uh, I don't know how big like the metro area is, but like I think by numbers, I don't know how uh, how it stacks up to some place like uh, like Charlotte or there there are a bunch of different areas where it seems like are ripe for baseball. My my thing is I think Major League Baseball should really add like four to six teams uh, rather than. Uh, contracting or moving any but the thing that's holding that up is that teams like the Rays most notably the Rays and the Oakland A's have their stadium situations in flux and so until they're sorted out the league can't expand because right now places like Charlotte and Portland and Montreal and even like Mexico City are the sort of threat to Tampa is like, well, we could take your team and move them to Montreal. Uh, Montreal really wants a team. And then, so then that's the, that's the move to try to get the taxpayers of Hillsborough County to, to pay up for a new stadium. I think, uh, I mean, that seems fair. There's so much involved with uh, being able to get franchises and stuff off the ground. That, that seems fair to me. Uh, I don't know. I mean, well, you so, but you're not in favor of like huge taxpayer funded stadiums, I assume. I'm, I mean, not, I'm not in favor of that, but I think that. Well, you live in, I mean, you live in DC, which is like sort of the, where the Nats are at least is like the example of when that works. Like, Hey, look, like we totally rejuvenated this area. You know, now there's like a Jamba juice there and that's not something that would have been there before that, that ballpark was built. Well, the other problem, I mean, so here's the thing. I'm not in favor of that. I'm just saying that it's an incredibly complicated issue. So the, like, yeah, again, going back to the Arizona Glendale thing is that everyone builds them thinking that there's going to revitalize this part of town or whatever. Um, it rarely it does. Out, right. But it worked out with the, that part of D.C., but it really had nothing to do with the stadium. Right. Mm-hmm. That was a little bit of a yeah. boon. Yeah. And because like there was. DC is just gentrifying at such like an alarmingly rapid yeah. rate that it was bound to be next because it's just not that far from the capital. Yeah, I always just think about it in terms of stuff like the, the the Olympics, right? People think that the visibility that you get for being on a national stage for two weeks is going to be worth the the millions and millions that people sink into these stadiums that really are going to be used a handful of times and then never used again. So yeah. I don't know. I like, is it an app? It's not like an apples to apples comparison, but in general, no, I'm not used to it. It's like, kind of, it's kind of a scam, right? It's kind of a scam. These people are making money off. Like you're, it's like this, this sort of hoax that like, Oh, you're going to host the world cup. Brazil, like this is going to bring you way more business if you just shell out all this money and do all this stuff to accommodate the World Cup. And I just don't, I don't think there's any evidence that that really happens that way. Yeah, I mean, I don't either. I think they're talking about having the Olympics in LA, and that seems like LA has so many other oh, things that they need nightmare. to worry about. That would be a nightmare. 
Yeah, it would be, it would just be absolutely terrible. I mean, you would have venues that are like in Sacramento. Do you know what I mean? Just because there's no reason or there's no space there's to no build way to them. You get in there LA. and then there's no way to park. You can't even park in LA as it is. You're going to add like however many thousands of people are going to come in for the Olympics, spread them all over the city and put them away. And there's no, there's not enough public transportation to say like, oh, well, they'll all just ride the bus or the subway or whatever. That, that doesn't happen in LA. So you're just going to add that many, like, no, you, LA has to like close its borders and figure out where to put where people can park before they yeah, let any it, more people it's in. It's just ridiculous. Yeah. It's going to be like it's going to be Mad Max but uh, you know the Mel Gibson version of Mad Max. So that would be, be way more fun to watch than the Olympics though. Oh, 100%. Um going back to Tampa Bay for a second, I went to Tampa for the NHL All-Star game and I have to say that I found St. Pete way way better than than tampa oh it's way hipper like it's i mean not not that not than all of it but like st pete has like a downtown st pete is, is a pretty cool place but it's just you can't get there what do you mean you can't get there you can't you have to go so uh, i you could just I, you could trust, yeah, i just drove it was fine uh you drove you got extremely lucky if you just drove because getting across you know you get you have to go across one of those causeways to get from tampa to yeah. St. Petersburg, and yeah. those causeways, like anytime there's any sort of congestion on the road, they just get backed up, and you wind up just sitting there, uh, and it's agonizing because you're you're out in the middle of nowhere. I think I feel like Charles and I just talked about this, uh, and and you're just stuck, a- and uh, you might be stuck there for an hour. Like there's, uh, I feel like this year I didn't even go to Tampa for spring training because. I hate driving around Tampa so much. <laughs> like it's, it's true. Like I just I have been campaigning for this for years. It's like I will go to the other side of Florida. I will go to Arizona gladly. But like I will commit a murder if you make me drive in Tampa anymore. <laughs> I mean, my experience in Tampa was was totally like, fine. A left a turn of... <laughs> in Tampa, Florida, is like basically an extreme sport. It's I mean, I a horrible a driving Ubers, atmosphere. No, no, it's it's a horrible place to drive around. Like, and I think that I think like I don't think I don't think the people of Tampa are necessarily bad or vicious or anything. But I think there's no way to drive around Tampa without being rendered insane by the traffic and the and the just like logistical hassle of getting around. So everyone winds up driving like a crazy person, even if they're not crazy people. I don't know. That was not my experience in the least. All my Ubers got from where we needed to go to the other spot totally fine without hitting any huge pockets of traffic. And my trip from St. Pete or from Tampa into St. Pete was a breeze. It was like maybe 25 minutes, 30 max. And then I had to get back to Tampa to catch my flight. And that was also fine. So, so you only went I think it's once. just you. You only went across twice. Yeah, I only went across twice, but it was fine. All right, try get yourself from downtown Tampa to Dunedin by 9 a.m. on a Wednesday morning and and tell me how you feel. Just then you can tell me how you feel. Yeah, maybe You're just stay in Dunedin, okay? Forget about staying in Tampa. I don't want to. Uh, actually, Dunedin, <laughs> Dunedin's nice. It's a, it's a lovely little place where the Blue Jays play. Uh, they have a random hip coffee shop there that I've worked in. Uh, no, Nothing but respect for Dunedin, but... No, Tampa, you can, no, you, I don't want to drive in Tampa. <laughs> All right, well, I'm sorry I got you on an anti-Tampa rant. All right, uh, we've already gone, again, this has been a trend for this show so far, but we've gone <laughs> longer than I, I hoped to. Uh, not that I didn't want to talk to you for all this time, but just that we're trying to keep things shorter. So I'm going to end this now. Is that <laughs> all right, cool? Thanks. 
Hamill, thank you for for, having me on. Thank you for doing this. Please, uh, I'm going to make you come back and do this more because uh, it thrills me to make you miserable. I love that. All (laughs) All right. right. Thanks, Ted. All right. That's all for this week's show. Next week, I hope to have something earlier in the week. But hey, this is out in time for your drive time commute Friday afternoon if you download it immediately before you left. Uh, Please remember, rate and review the show on iTunes, on Google Play, anywhere you see it. Have a good week and peace out.